Now you can find, listen and subscribe to Chilling with Jens and the local Danfoss Climate Solution podcast in your RevTools app. Download it from danfoss.com. Service and support. Downloads. Hi, I'm Jens and I work for Danfoss Cooling. This podcast is intended for someone who knows the basics of refrigeration, the thermodynamics. I'll also recapture the most vital details as I go on. Picking up on the informative educational topics, today's topic will be about the cool part of the cooling system. The evaporator, the evaporator coil and the TXV and how they work together to optimize the cooling process. Also a few insights into function, maintenance, servicing, and a few words on fault finding, and more words about how to control the coldness. But first, let me put a few frames around today's topics. I'll limit the talk to air coils, or air-cooled heat exchangers, and that could still be quite a wide range of types, uh, so hang in there. Let's take an example. The glass door merchandiser by the convenience store down at the corner, you know. The one with the cold beverages. Yeah, I know you've been there. I'm sure you have. Somewhere, the evaporator sits and blows out cool air, most likely at the top and most likely with fans circulating the air inside the cabinet. And you know that's been there for the last five, ten years maybe, so it's quite likely that it could use some kind uh, attention. This specific evaporator was originally calculated and dimensioned to cool a very specific volume of air per time unit, and thereby the equivalent number of bottles, cans and cartoons. The same with any other evaporator coil. They are dimensioned to a specific capacity, both airflow and cooling capacity. A quick recap of the basics. The cooling happens when the refrigerant evaporates. The evaporation process requires energy that is taken, stolen if you like, from the environment. And the evaporation process is forced to happen when the pressure of the refrigerant is decreased. So remember we have three factors that work together. Pressure, the energy and the temperature. There's a thorough podcast on the evaporation process in chapter one, the evaporation process, in case you need a bit more info. So with the evaporator, we have another factor that plays into this, the matter or the substance that is being cooled and is delivering the energy to the evaporation process. And here it's obviously the air passing through the air coil, which again passes over the goods. This means, of course, that it's absolutely important that the airflow can pass unobstructed through the air coil and cover all the goods to be cooled. Later, I'll list the things to attend to when checking and servicing the air coil. But let's first get a bit more theoretical and talk about the inner function, the bloodstream, if you like, of the evaporator coil. Remember that cooling is an exchange of energy from the passing air to the evaporating refrigerant. Energy in the form of heat. Energy is a key word here. And remember 
that when we are discussing capacity in this context, the amount of cooling energy that we can pull out of a cooling system, that basically comes down to the amount of refrigerant that the system can process. And that's how much refrigerant the evaporator is capable of evaporating under full load conditions. This means that it's all about controlling the refrigerant flow through the coil, the amount, velocity, and finally also the superheat. So again, what's superheat really? Well, when the last tiny drop of refrigerant has evaporated inside the coil, you have obtained the pure gas phase without any remains of liquid. And this is where you have reached the dew point. Any additional temperature rise from that point will constitute superheat, regardless the amount of additional temperature rise. When optimizing the evaporator to its limits, it's about moving this point as close to the outlet of the evaporator as possible. Or, in other words, see to it that the last drop is evaporated as close to the exit as possible. All this in order to use the evaporator to its maximum. One more thing that needs mentioning is that the construction of the evaporator often is made with several parallel coils. So at the inlet you will have a liquid distributor that will, well, distribute the liquid refrigerant equally to all the coils. And they are obviously then joined again at the outlet. So it's essentially the amount of energy present that should determine the amount of refrigerant to be evaporated. Which is also why we need a controlling valve just before the evaporator. A metering device. And that's the reason for the existence of the TXV, the thermostatic expansion valve. Well, and a few other types of regulating valves, but let's focus on the TXV for now. The TXV will need to be able to measure or register the condition of the refrigerant at the outlet of the evaporator and then be able to control the refrigerant feed to the evaporator. And that's exactly what it does. The sensor bulb measures or register the refrigerant temperature at the outlet and the external pressure equalization capillary tube signals the pressure back to the valve. The result is that the valve opens according to the pressure and temperature at the outlet of the evaporator. And then it's just a question of adjusting the superheat to the appropriate 4 to 12 Kelvin, that is 7 to 21.6 Fahrenheit, depending on the system and recommendations. The Danfoss TE2 valve has a factory setting of 4K, so that should suffice in most cases. And we don't want liquid running back to the compressor, do we? The TXV temperature bulb sensor converts the temperature to pressure, which will open the valve, provided the temperature is high enough, so to speak. And the external pressure equalization pressure will, via the capillary tube, counter the temperature signal. So, how does it actually convert the bulb temperature to a pressure? Well, it's kind of easy. The bulb is charged with a refrigerant, 
In fact, a refrigerant that matches the refrigerant that the system is charged with. And that's why you can't just take any old TXV and mount it at random in any system. No, 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 no. Don't do that. You will need to ensure that the TXV works with that particular system charged refrigerant. You can also check if the Danfoss TXV you are looking at actually works with the charge refrigerant with the Danfoss Low GWP tool app. Also, the app will help you check if there are any adjustments for superheat compensation. So now that you have mounted the right TXV to the right evaporator, the refrigerant flow to the evaporator is controlled by the needs of cooling, not the temperature, but the capacity. And the great thing is that the TXV and evaporator will literally control also the compressor and condenser. If the need for cooling grows, the compressor will need to work harder and the condenser will need to dissipate more heat. Or if we briefly return to the beverage cabinet, when you load lukewarm drinks into it, the compressor will run longer and the back, you know, the, the condenser will become warmer. That's kind of logic. But it also means that symptoms at the condenser could actually originate from the evaporator and vice versa. So when you start troubleshooting, you will do yourself and the customer a huge favor of having a long and thorough look at the entire system first, and then later dig into the suspected components. So start by thinking system, not component. So a few things to attend to in fault-finding uh, fault situations. And a lot of what I'm going to say now, you already know, but just maybe there's one or two things that you or the apprentice hadn't thought of. Okay, the space to cool, is it tight? That is, are there any unintended ingress of heat somewhere? Fissures, does a door close? What about the pipework? Has it been tightened up correctly? What about the load? Are there too many items? too much goods to cool down? And can the airflow unobstructed? What about the un unintended load, like a forgotten lamp, a motor, maybe a fan or a forklift? Or does some, or does some of the good itself generate heat? Check the evaporator, the clocking of the airflow, the fins, the fan, or maybe the buildup of frost and ice. What about the defrosting? Does it work as intended? Let's start with what you can do immediately to make the evaporator perform to its best. So let's start with the obvious. Clean it. Clean out any dirt and dust that hinders the air passing through the coil. But wait! Before you start the air compressor, evacuate the cold room and dress up in your protective suit. There could be some nasty bacterial stuff hidden there. Check and repair, if needed, the fans. Also pretty obvious, I guess. So if you hear un any unnatural noise from the fans, be it rattling, squeaking or anything else that just doesn't sound like air passing through, give the motor and blades the care that it needs. Check that bended fins are not blocking the airflow. You can use a fin comb to straighten the fins. They come in all sizes and shapes and material. So that's your choice. Air volume, as said, 
the evaporator that you're looking at has been engineered to a specific air capacity. And obviously that amount of air needs to be available on the intake side. And the same amount of air needs to be discharged on the outlet side. So you will need to ensure that there are no blocking or obstruction of air on both sides of the evaporator. But maybe even more obvious is, of course, to ensure that there is no ice clogging up the evaporator. So you will need to check that the defrosting is actually working as it should, and that after the defrost period, no ice is left obstructing the airflow. Finally, the controls, like the thermostat, has that been set correctly to the right temperature and does it work as intended? Including also setting the switch on after the switch off and the electrical wires are still intact with no short circuiting or bare wires. Okay, so we've done all that. Now, what's the usual suspects when it comes to the TXV? Well, First remember that the TXV is not responsible for the temperature. So if anything is wrong with the temperature, you might want to look elsewhere first. But it's true, it will take capacity to pull down the temperature and the evaporator capacity is mostly controlled by the TXV. So the first look is at the sensor bulb. Is it placed correctly? On a level pipe surface and not over a joint or a bent? and the capillary tube is running horizontal or upwards. It's insulated to avoid influence from the airstreams. Remember, it's the refrigerant outlet temperature, which is the controlling factor, not the airstream. You can check if it works correctly by heating the bulb with your hand, and then the TXV should open. Subcooling. Check your side glass, the one before the TXV. Can you see the bubbles or a gas flow? If so, it could be caused by a too small subcooling, which is the additional cooling of condensed refrigerant. If you have a dew point of, say, 30 degrees Celsius, that's 86 Fahrenheit, a subcooling of some 5 to 10 Kelvin would be sufficient, that is about 40 to 50 Fahrenheit. Just check that the filler dry isn't frosted or too cold. That could be an indication of the filter being clogged. Lack of charge. Check the system pressures. Do a leak test, that is, with a leak detector and be thorough. A, just, just mentioning a pretty rare case, we've seen charge escaping via an electrical cable inlet on a pressure sensor. But that's probably that probably belongs to the rare cases. But what I'm trying to say is be thorough. Then obviously repair the leak and recharge. Ice buildup on the evaporator inlet and the TXV. If the side glass with moisture indicator reports wet conditions and the filter dryer is old, the orifice inside the TXV just might be iced up blocking the refrigerant flow and you may have an expansion and thereby cooling only at the TXV outlet, the evaporator inlet. You can check this by warming the TXV, which would then start working, but the fault will return again until you have renewed the filter dryer. What else? Well, if you encounter an electronic expansion valve, you will also meet different sensors 
transmitters and the electronic control itself. And we'll save that for another podcast. But just the most basic applies, of course, the right placement, the coding of the controller and the valve condition. So very, very briefly from now on, the thermostatic sensor. The thermostatic sensor should sit also at the evaporator outlet just before the pressure transmitter and should also be insulated to avoid influence from the airflow. Avoid fixating the sensor with plastic straps, as plastic tends to get brittle when exposed to lower temperatures. Pay attention to the signal from the sensors, especially the pressure transmitter signal may be of a different type than what you saw yesterday. I'll leave the electronics here and just say thank you for listening on this podcast. We will greatly appreciate feedbacks and suggestions to future refrigeration topics. Or if you have specific questions to this episode, please leave a comment on the Chilling with the End SoundCloud page. I'll look forward to hearing from you. We would also appreciate it if you would click like, share and repost to help us spread the word about Chilling with the Ends. Please feel welcome to visit us at danfoss.com and maybe sign up for some of our cool e-learning classes. Thank you so much. We'll be seeing you soon for the next episode. Until then, stay cool. (laughs) 